0: Welcome back. I hope that if you celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, that you had a lovely time last week and maybe a couple extra little days off. But how is it November 30th already? Wow, 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 wow. wow. I tell you what, this year, I mean, we say it every year, right? But it is truly flying by. Um, I have been doing some major reflecting lately. It really kind of started back in October and But now I can feel it. I am ready to start my planning and my dreaming for next year. And I'm going to share with you some of how I'm doing that next month. But as I've sort of like started dipping my toes in these reflective waters, I thought of a question I wanted to ask you. Do you remember what, if you close your eyes, do you remember what your favorite moments or memories or times of this past year were 2022 okay did you think of them I have a couple One was a trip to Maine my husband and I took to go see my side of the family. The whole trip was really great, but there was a moment when we were all in my nana and grampy's house with like almost the entirety of my family, those who get along, those who don't get along, those who make themselves scarce, those who are ever present. It was a truly beautiful thing. The whole trip was very transformative for me in in many ways, but that was one of my favorite moments. The other was Jason's cousin's wedding weekend extraordinaire on Long Island. Everything from being on the dance floor to floating around in the pool with my sister-in-law, nieces, and nephews to cracking up like there is no tomorrow while sitting next to my sister-in-law at the wedding dinner table. Like, I think we were borderline going to be kicked out of the wedding. <laughs> that trip was also very transformative and just so entirely fun. And the other moment was right in my own backyard with my husband's family, our dog, endlessly fetching his tennis ball and dropping in people's laps, despite it being absolutely filthy. Um, again, lots of laughter. And then from a business perspective, being with all of my She Built This friends at the She Built This event in Laconia, it was like a magical little sprinkle of fairy dust in my heart and such an incredible time. And once again, so many smiles and laughter. I actually think I went home and my like face hurt from smiling so much. There were more moments, but these are the ones that popped into my head very quickly as I was preparing and thinking about this question. Notice in none of those memories did I say, well, it was when I had my iPhone out and I was playing Wordle. And like, trust me, I love me some Wordle. It was also not, well, it was while I was sitting down replying to emails or while I was writing my newsletter. Now, don't get me wrong. Like all of these things are super fun. I absolutely love the work I do. You can probably hear it in my voice, but it is in real connection and disconnecting from ourselves as like worker bees, that we often find some of our greatest moments of peace and joy and satisfaction. So on that note, today is the last episode of our theme for November about systems. And if this is your first time joining us and listening, welcome. I'll tell you more in a second a little bit about the show, but I do encourage you to go back and listen to the the four episodes from this month on the topic of systems if you like this one because we get into how systems relate to our websites, uh, our automations, our time and energy management, productivity, And lots more that I can't do justice with a couple of verbal bullet points. Um, I always recommend that like, if this is your first time listening or if you're just like, I need more of this podcast, how can I get more of it? It's really easy. You just have to scroll through the little feed thingy on your podcast app. We do love scrolling. Um, Or do what I do when I discover a new podcast and just like pick out the ones that uh, call to you. So for those of you who don't know, I'm Emily Aborn. I'm the host of the show, founder of She Built This Community, and a content writer for women entrepreneurs. And you have been fairly warned. I am wearing a jetpack of energy today. Watch out, world. (laughs) But the reason for the jetpack is that today's episode is one I've been really excited to bring you for quite some time. I really wanted to... Well, first I want to start out, I guess, by sharing how I discovered today's guest because... It ties into what I often talk about and to uh, a recent episode, and I just love sharing these little like insights and extra bonus nuggets with you in the intros. Before the guest comes on and joins us. So at the beginning of 2022, I had Julie Brown, author of the book This Shit Works and host of the This Shit Works podcast on my podcast. We were talking about networking, visibility, and building relationships. And the way I actually discovered Julie was because she had a mutual connection, Terry Trispicio, On her show, I'm obsessed with Terry Trispicio, So I was listening to like every podcast episode Terry was ever on. And I found Julie's. Then I had Julie on mine. Julie had me on hers. I had Terry just Bijoux on mine. Julie and I have tons of guests in common and connections. And uh, it was her podcast I was listening to when I discovered today's guest, Daniel C. I heard him share I went and ordered his book and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out. So I reached out and I said, Daniel, I just finished listening to your episode with my friend Julie Brown on the This Shit Works podcast. I'm getting your book on Amazon right now. And as I was listening, I said to myself, I need to ask this man to be on my podcast. So here I am asking you to be on my show. And I told him about the show. I brought in a little fun fact. He has 18 chickens. Um, and so Daniel read the email, and thankfully, he said yes, he would make space in his life to be on the show. So I'm sharing this backstory for two reasons. You guys know I always have a moral to the story. (laughs) Reason number one, you truly never know who you're gonna meet, and you truly never know how you're gonna meet them. You don't know where one connection is gonna take you, in introducing you to another and like what that step could do to actually like transform your life like you just never know. Daniel is all the way from Australia and we are connected through just one mutual friend who lives just a hop, skip and a jump from me. This happens to me all the time, actually. Like another recent guest knew someone who knew someone who knew someone and know someone and it's just a it's it's just like a onward with the triangles and rhombozoids of connection. So, like I said, you just never know who you're gonna meet, how you'll work together, and where it will take you next. And moral number two of this story is I think when you are, this is like a reminder for those who are pitching to either have a guest on your show or to be a guest on someone else's show, I'll say it. Once, I'll say it twice. I will say it until I am blue in the face. Just make it real. Like, just show them who you are. Show them that you listen and you care and you're taking time to make space for writing this email. Don't just send out like a mass generic email. I And I have so much content that I am getting ready to share with you in the new year, kind of on this topic and a lot of other related topics. So um, if you are going to pitch somebody, just make it real, you know, just make it very conversational. So last piece of this little backstory and why I felt really excited for this conversation. I personally am in the process of making more space in my own life right now. Some of you know that at the end of December, I actually plan to take an entire two weeks off. You guys, this is so sad. This is the first two weeks off of my entire life ever. Um, I'm going to sit down and really put pen to paper and plan out 2023 in a lot of the ways that Daniel suggests in his book, and also some of the ways I've decided to adapt it as my own. So my focus in 2023 is really about connecting more deeply with the people I want to be connected to. And by doing so, having more space in my life, as well as making more space in my life to do so. It's like a full circle. Um, I really want more moments like the ones I shared at the beginning, like the moments that I had in 2022. I want more moments like that. I want them to be bright and technicolor or as Daniel says in today's interview, textured. And I also want them to be more frequent. So With all of those thoughts and themes and information I just dumped at you bobbing about in your brain, I bring you my conversation with Daniel C. We get into our relationship with the device in your hand or your pocket right now (laughs) your phone, uh, how to rethink social media as an entrepreneur, why to add more space, and how to really, like, how to tangibly start doing it, and also how to know if you've kind of hit that point of digital overuse. I, I definitely encourage you to check out Daniel after you hear this episode. Take a look at his books, and from his book, there are just some things I really pulled out that I'm working on in my own life moving forward. from Everything from reducing the apps that you use to checking social media at specific times, uh, being active and not passive no matter what you're choosing to do online, and really investing time in people one-to-one both online and offline who matter to you. So, Let me tell you a little bit more about Daniel. He is the co-founder of Spacemakers, a productivity consulting group for busy leaders. He's the author of Spacemaker and Raising Tech Healthy Humans. I know you're intrigued already. His book, Spacemaker, is really about how to unplug, unwind, and think clearly in the digital age and actually won Best Personal Development Book in the Australian Business Book Awards in 2021. Daniel's worked with CEOs, executives, and other senior professionals throughout Australia and beyond, ranging from global corporations and businesses to universities and nonprofits. He's the creator of best-selling productivity courses such as Email Ninja and Making Space Digital Wellness Training and has over 20,000 students online and offline. He lives in Tasmania, Australia with his wife, Kylie, and three children, Naomi, Caleb, and Jethro. He also keeps lots of purebred chickens who eat a lot of grain and lay too few eggs, in his opinion. (laughs) All right, without further ado, I hope you love this interview as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Daniel C., welcome to the She Built This podcast.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's great to be here and having a conversation with you.
0: Since I heard you on Julie Brown's podcast, Our Mutual Connection, I knew that I had to get a copy of your book. And then once I got your book, or I don't know which came first, but I was like, I must have him on the show. So that's how, that's how you are here on my side of things. But I want to hear how, uh, I want to hear your beginning. Like what led you to write the book Space Maker and your new book. And you can share what that is if you want. And also, like, how did you get focused on helping other people make space in their lives?
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, great question. Big question to start with. Uh, look, I quite like the quote from Richard Bach that I teach best what I most need to know. And, you know, I'm someone who loves doing stuff. You know, I love starting businesses. I have three kids. I'm married. I live in community and share land. And I've started a number of non-profits um, and I think my personality type, you know, an entrepreneur is one that is very busy and and I found that I needed space in my life and increasingly as I've gotten older, I've realized just how precious it is to have space, to, to think deeply and to rest fully and to reconnect with people in your life without feeling like you're reaching for your phone or being distracted or having your mind racing at a million miles an hour and so uh i've wrestled with space for a long long time and then i've worked with executives and leaders who also seem to wrestle with space you know like i the people i work with they they don't lack for money actually and they don't lack for information there's plenty of information they don't have any space or time uh, in the way they'd like um so that that's probably the heartbeat of why i started Um, in terms of my background uh, I actually nearly burnt out when I was about thirty, so that was more than ten years ago. And that was the point in my life where I realized, wow, i'm 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 fallible. <laughs> I'm human, And actually, there's more to life than just achieving everything you can do on your to-do list every day. And I started to wrestle with the fact that I couldn't breathe properly, and I was feeling anxious and I wasn't sleeping well. and and um I saw a friend, a close friend who uh, who actually burnt out just before I was in that space and he ended up being really unwell and was unable to return to work for many, many years. And I'm like, well, something has to change. So that was probably the start of my journey to really taking space seriously. Uh, And the book is an expression of what I would like to read or what I would have liked to read uh, back then um, because of the things I've learned. It's a long answer, but I hope that's helpful.
0: Oh, that's a perfect answer. And I think of that often., uh, I teach best what I most need to know. I think that's the case for so many people I speak to. Um so here's a here's a question for you. you know, tech and um digital tools have definitely been on the rise. Um, And I think that we often associate them with more productivity and more getting more done and being more efficient and effective. So where does that sort of stop and this overload or need to create space begin like there's got to be like a fine threshold of it being helpful and good and beneficial for you and then burning you out
1: definitely definitely look and I I found myself a few years ago it was just I mean it wasn't an amazing insight but for me it felt like an insight that uh, the phone isn't just something I use for work uh, and for life You know, it's not something that I'm just using like a a tool like a hammer or a i don't know or a book Uh, it's more a part of me i actually have a relationship with my devices and i have a relationship with the online world and that really started to shape my paradigm Um, and i started to see it in the people i was coaching so working with leaders i found that i would uh, constantly meet people who were really really good at technology they had all the apps all the different software (laughs) all the different kind of programs and and devices and yet even though they knew how to use them and they knew how to integrate them they were actually really unproductive Uh, and i'm sure you meet people like this you might be one of these people where uh, you're so wired to your technology that your brain races constantly you find it hard to think clearly your thoughts become scattered you lose patience and maybe empathy Uh, you, you get lots done and tick things off your list but they're not necessarily the really meaningful things and There's no space or cadence in your life to really know who you are or where you're heading or why you're doing what you're doing. I I see this in a lot of people and I saw it in my life. And so I asked the question, yeah, what's the relationship between technology and productivity? And looking at the research, and this is in my book, uh, if you imagine a graph between productivity and technology, you clearly need to use technology to become productive. And so imagine a a graph where you use technology and your productivity goes up in every field exponentially. Uh, but then you reach a plateau where more technology doesn't make you more productive. I call it the productive middle. And then if you imagine an upside down you uh, where if you keep using technology, if you reach for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, if you know, you're know you checking your phone on the toilet, you're checking it for work, you're checking it for life and you can never get off of it. well, Well, there's a point where you start to lose a lot of things that make us human. Uh, and actually, you reduce your productivity, you slide down the right-hand side of that productivity curve, and you end up in what I call digital overuse. And so uh, that's the point where many of us are at, uh, particularly in culture post-COVID, where we're using technology so much that it's no longer aiding our productivity in the way it's designed to use, uh, and and where we are feeling wide and tied and scattered, where our relationships um, are not as strong as they used to be. Uh, where we're feeling this sense of connection with everyone but loneliness in ourselves and where there's this disconnect from our inner life where we're kind of living from the outside in rather than the inside out. And, and these are experiences that I'm seeing all around me and, and that's why we need uh, what I call the habits of being a, a space maker, which are the habits of unplugging intentionally from technology from time to time in a rhythmical, uh, habitual way in order to return to the productive middle. So not to reject technology and how wonderful it is, but to realize you need habits of pace. So the habits of using tech well on the left of the curve, but then habits of making space to really enjoy life and to be at our best.
0: I really, I want to get into those specifics too in a few minutes, but um, I do, I, I think that my phone and I, my technology and I have a you know, we have a hot and cold relationship. Like I do appreciate the productivity that I can find in these tools. I'm pretty good at like putting my phone in do not disturb and just like focusing on what I need to focus on. But when you said, you know, taking space for yourself, like I'm thinking in my mind, like kind of like a digital detox to figure out who you are and where you're heading. That really, that is really something that like, resonates for me like i need to take more space just away from all of the noise to the point of the noise here's a question for you <laughs> so social media you know as business owners we it feels like and i don't know if this is fact but it feels like we need to be on social media and i hear a lot of business owners struggle with this where either they're on social media and then it's causing them like mental health issues or they don't see any other way to market their business unless they're on social media. I guess I'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on social media, especially for business owners is and like what sort of boundaries you put in place on yourself or you recommend for other people around that.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's a big question. Look, social media is really important for entrepreneurs. I understand that. Uh, it's funny. I, I've I've been a laggard when it comes to social media. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm very actively involved in LinkedIn, but I've I've really been slow on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and it was funny because when I released my book, which is essentially about unplugging from technology and putting its place in your life, uh, my publisher said, "You're gonna really struggle to market it without being on social media," and the irony wasn't lost on me. Um, so there is a sense where, yes, I am active more and more on social media for specific business reasons. Um, but I, I do think social media is uh, it's overused. Uh, I think as business owners, there's this real pressure that, yeah, unless you use it frantically, you won't be able to grow a business. And I haven't found that at all. I've, um, I still use it uh, irregularly. I've blocked all news feeds. So I don't use it personally for anything other than business. So I project out and I respond. But I uh, I, I don't doom scroll or anything like that. Because I just find I don't have the time, and it's not valuable for me. Um, so yeah, it is a catch twenty-two. Uh, I think I think where it's really important is when you're stuck in that cycle of just going from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and feeling like there's this fear-based kind of use of social media where you need to use it to build the business, you need to always be online, always contacting, always growing. It it's just it it's a never-ending. Game, you know, and you kind of never win. There's, there's no mm-hmm. end to it. And at some point, I think you there's value in coming to peace with. Well, this is how I use it. and This is how I don't. Um, it can be a really useful tool for business owners and entrepreneurs, but uh, don't let it take over the important parts of your life. And, and that's unfortunately how it often works. Oh, look, one thing I would say, and I write this in my book. I talk a lot about social media and the the why behind it because I think we lose the purpose of it and the driver in the sense that um, social media from my understanding was originally designed to help connect us to the people in our lives and there's obviously business purposes and value from that perspective but ultimately the driver is that we are deeply tribal people <laughs> and we love community we, we deeply value relationships as to who we are as humans and i love the research into community actually, because people who have regular relationships with people face to face in their lives, people who matter to them, but also wide and broad relationships like people involved in clubs and churches and and other face to face communities like schools, uh, people who are involved in people's lives live longer, uh, they're happier, they're healthier and that study has been repeated again and again for decades with longitudinal studies, Uh, so much so that someone like Susan Pinker, who's a social neuroscientist, says that actually being in face-to-face connection with people who matter in your life is actually at least as good for your health as giving up a -a pack-a-day cigarette habit uh, or stopping, like, or or treating hypertension or obesity. So, I mean, the the research is remarkable. Um, You know, women who are in close contact with people who they love uh, face to face, the genes that help them fight breast cancer in hospital actually turn on uh, when they're in close contact with loved ones. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen when you're on a media on on social media. So um, when I think about social media, I think it can augment real relationships, but that's not what's happening. We're replacing real relationships, real community, that textured warm Kind of connection that makes us happy and human we're replacing that for time online liking and sharing and sharing photos and and um and the research says that that at the very best that's a shell of what it means to be a human compared to a face-to-face relationship uh, and at worst at actually it's bad for our mental health and our happiness and so from a social perspective i think you can use social media a little bit if it augments real relationships, but once we start trading face-to-face time, you actually kind of you you lose the the driver and the benefits behind why we're doing it in the first place, and I think that's worth people recognizing.
0: Yeah, that's um, really powerful. And the word "textured" when you describe like being in person with somebody, I really love that, and I I feel that you know it is. I will also say that people act differently on social media sometimes. Like it's almost like this, uh, it takes the guardrails off and they just could say and be anything that they want. And sometimes that comes out in a negative way. Sometimes it's it's fine. It's for the better. Um, so I actually run an online community. And when I read this part in your book, I said to myself, like it was a wake up for me. And I really realized that I do need to create more opportunities for everyone to connect in person. If for some people, it's not going to be possible because they live in other parts of the world. We have people in Australia and New Zealand and England, but for the people locally, like that is something that is important to me is to bring the community together. And I realized that just bringing them together online is not enough because it's you use the term in your book, which I felt was a really good term. I think you said fake community versus real community. And the piece of it that really stuck out to me is that in a in-person community, it takes effort right? like We all have to show up. We all have to give. We all have to be present. But in an online community, it's easy. It doesn't take any effort. It's kind of like pop in when you want. Don't show up if you don't want to. uh, Give a little comment or a little like, and then you can just pop out and do your business. So I found that really fascinating and just really helped me to rethink the way that I'm focusing on my community in the coming year.
1: Mm. now that's look thank you for that insight and that reflection and and look it is it's and and both so on the one hand i love that you know i mean i live in tasmania it's a pretty small place on the other side of the world uh you've probably only heard of it if you've watched like looney tune cartoons because you've seen a fake tazzy <laughs> devil you know and and i love that i've got this community of people like yourself i have conversations with people all around the world through podcasting i've i train people all around the world through zoom and and teams Uh, You know, there's this sense where I have a real leadership community, which I feel um, strengthens me and encourages me. And I couldn't get that at home. Okay. So I think there's real benefits to the online community. But at the same time, I have a wedding. I live next door to a a family and we've been eating together every week for the last 15 years. uh, And they are like family to me. And and we also eat every fortnight with a group of about 25 people. And that's a, a hard thing to do. It's deliberate. Uh, I don't always like everyone in the group. They don't always like me. But what I find is um, like because it's difficult, it, it, it sharpens you and, and it's, it's real. Um, I, I think that I would be quite, I don't know, I can be a jerk. I just can be. <laughs> I can be, you know, opinionated. I can be judgmental. Uh, I can say the wrong things and speak before I think. And, um, and it's my local community, the ones who I eat with every week that call me on that stuff. They tell me when I'm healthy, uh, they will pray with me when I'm struggling, they will like call me out on bad stuff and they'll encourage me. Uh, we just released, my, my physical book came out, um, like I physically got my, my books, they're not, they're not on sale yet globally, but uh, they came in the post last week and I got to hand them out to everyone yesterday and and they all got to kind of celebrate with me, you know, and nothing, like there's no Zoom launch, or even book launch that is going to give me the feeling of being able to hand books to like 20 friends who have guided me and supported me along the way. And so you need, I think you need both. Well, at least I do. For for me, the the big broad stuff has meaning in the context of having someone who I really know and when my marriage is in strife and when I'm struggling with health uh, or where I want to celebrate a big win, um, I have some go-to people and they're face-to-face in real time, real place. And I think we need that. And that's harder to get nowadays than the online community. We have to really work at that.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I hear a lot of people complaining about email overload, being overwhelmed. Just what I would say is just in general, like we're all just like kind of working too much and not playing enough. And you're really good at this. Like you have systems in place to intentionally set time to step away. And one of those sounds like you make intentional time to connect with other humans. But what are some other like simple tips, ideas for like setting, setting boundaries and, and limits on the, the time we're spending in front of screens and on our devices?
1: Mm, no, great questions. So again, if you go back to the framework I mentioned before, you imagine the upside down curve where you need technology to be productive. So they're the habits of pace. And then you need to not use technology to be productive to get back to the productive middle, which is the habits of making space. And so I have some very deliberate rhythms around both ends, uh, which actually really help me. So, for example, um, you know, you mentioned email. I mean, email is actually a really big challenge for many people. Email is one of the biggest stresses in their work life and you just get hit by email after email after email. And having kind of read and unread and flagged and unflagged emails in your inbox can just be exhausting or at least feel, make you feel like you're never, you're never in control of your work. And so one of the habits of making pace that I have is to use email really well. So I get my inbox to zero every few days. Um, I have a system where I don't keep everything in my inbox that I process it two to three to four times a day but I don't look at notifications in real time. So if you email me, I won't see any emails until I open up my inbox to process it maybe three times a day. Uh, You won't have to wait for more than an hour and a half or two hours generally to get a response if it's important, but I'm not kind of constantly filling my brain with notifications, which just causes distraction and it doesn't actually make me more responsive. Does that make sense? Uh, to- totally. Yeah. yeah, and when I process, I process well though. You know, I use um, a top to bottom rule. So I go one, two, three, four, five. Uh, if, it's, if I can do it in less than two minutes, I do it straight away. If it takes more than two minutes, I delay the action. I move it to an action folder. I process my inbox to zero, and then I go to the action folder and I've got a system for prioritizing things that really matter. So again, that the more systematized and organized you are in managing your workflow, the less distraction you have. Um, I'm also a fan of David Allen's getting things done methodologies. So I have an online to-do list. Every time I have an idea, uh, like unfortunately last night I woke up at like four in the morning and uh, I had an idea. So I did write that down so I could go to sleep. But um, generally it's, you know, throughout the day, if you have an idea uh, or someone asks for something or you commit to something, then I capture it in my to-do list online so that my brain doesn't carry around a bunch of tasks that I need to do. And then I use my to-do list by breaking things into projects and tasks so that any significant project that matters to me, like speaking on a hundred podcasts in the year or writing a book Mm -hmm. and releasing it, you know, or starting a new arm in Canada, there are three things I've done this year. I put them as projects. I make sure that every week I have a small next action that takes less than an hour uh, that relates to that. uh, And I tick them off my list. So again, There is a sense where when you use technology well and systematize things in the habits of pace, you can then uh, avoid that massive distraction of just doing whatever pops in your inbox or whatever notification comes up or just allowing the reactive to shape your day uh, and to create the texture of your life. Does that make sense? So that's the first set of habits is about organizing yourself and using technology well to be less distracted.
0: When this podcast comes out, I will have just aired one on my own organizational techniques um, and just things that I love and use in my business. And it is so much of this. It is like blocking out time to reply to important emails. And I don't sit on my email inbox all day long because it would drive me crazy. But I have intentional times that I do things. And when they come in and they're tasks, I move them to my client folder and I pull them out when I'm working on that client or whatever the thing is. So... Uh, I'm right there with you. And I hope that it, for somebody that has not done this yet, they're like, oh, yes, I need to do this as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And look, its I mean, it's not like I woke up, you know, it's not like I was born out of the womb and then suddenly was organized. <laughs> right. I mean, this, you know, I've been I've been in management and leadership for 20 years. And so at first I had no idea. And then I realized, wow, um, you know, the, the wake up for me with email was that I was a physiotherapist. That was my first career. And I was a physio manager at this stage. And I realized that I was spending three or four hours on this thing called Outlook, okay? And I had emails that were flagged and unflagged and read and unread. You know, I, I got to the point where uh, emails would fall off my screen and I knew I had to do something about them. So I would re-email myself <laughs> so I wouldn't forget uh, and then just create that kind of Tetris journey again. And, and I remember thinking, this is crazy. Like, I'm so stressed. I feel like i'm losing stuff my inbox like if if my bedroom looked like my inbox you know there'd be just stuff everywhere (laughs) and and i thought i've been trained as a physio i did four years undergraduate study i did postgraduate studies Uh, i knew anatomy and physiology and gait i knew how to assess pain and and assess a shoulder but like the majority of what i did as a manager was read and respond to this thing called email and no one had given me a single hour of training. And does that make sense? so it was like, well, I had to learn these skills. And so all I'm saying is, uh, they're all skills, but build on them one by one, you know, get your inbox under control, learn to use an online to-do list, learn to prioritize, you know, learn to time block, learn to use your calendar well. And, and eventually you'll slowly find that, oh, I'm, I've got the habits of making pace under control. Um, but at the same time, the second set of habits, you know, I think it's worth talking about other habits of making space because they are new. And they're the ones I realized I was missing. It, I was super organized, and I burnt out. <laughs> and I realized, uh, you also need to unplug mm. and to learn to rest. And, and you do that
0: on a cadence, am I, am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, so the same thing, just like I have a cadence for the habits of pace, I have a ca- cadence for the habits of space. So I have a cadence where uh, there are annual rhythms where I unplug to return to the productive middle. Uh, there are weekly ones and daily ones. So like an annual one, for example, uh, I block out four full days every year. So summer, autumn, winter, and spring, I have a day where I just walk on the beach and it's my thinking day, and I don't bring my tech, or I leave it, you know, in the car, and I basically just have takeaway coffees, walk up and down the beach, um, enjoy a sandwich, look out at the sea, and I write in my journal whatever comes to mind. Uh, I think about the quarter I've had as a business owner, but also as a dad, as a husband, as a community leader. Um, I think about what's gone well. You know, I think about where I'm at and what the future might be. I think about the next quarter and I just let my mind go where it goes. And I'll finish the day by writing a bunch of things on my to-do list. And I'll usually add some projects or change projects so that I've re-centered myself for the next season. And some of the best decisions I've made in life and in business have come out of that thinking time. So I really value it. So that's one of the annual patterns of, um, using, uh, unplugging in order to, to think deeply. Uh, I can give you more, like a weekly and a daily. Is that useful?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, maybe we'll go daily. Um, so, daily are the are the kind of reactive data day to day cadences or habits. Uh, so, some of my favorites are I I used, so I used to check email at the end of the day. Uh, you know, I'd be in bed, my wife's playing Candy Crush, I'm checking email or looking <laughs> at you know ABC News, uh, which is probably like your CNN. And, um, and I realized I was like having a relationship with my phone, but not with my spouse. And I was making love to Siri more more than my wife. And and I'm like, we've got three kids. We hardly get any time together. And that precious time, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes at the end of the day, where we can be in bed and talk, we're wasting it by being online. And so I just thought, what am I doing? And so. So we had a good conversation and we started to charge our phone outside of our bedroom. And so we created a daily pause where we now have, you know, it might only be 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to, to at the end of the day and at the start of the day, but we don't bring our tech into our rooms uh, or certainly don't charge our phones in our rooms. Uh, and, and we talk or, or I read a physical book or I just reflect on the day that's been. Um, and then when I wake up, rather than reaching for my alarm clock, which is my iPhone, And immediately, the first thing I'll do after pressing stop on the music is I would open Gmail uh, and other people open Instagram or Facebook or the news. You know, you you end up starting the day with either bad news from around the world or filling your mind with other people's thoughts rather than your own thoughts. And I stop doing that and I just sit in bed and I I wonder if I've dreamed anything. And I, I let my mind wander because some of the best ideas come first thing in the morning for me. Uh, I will pray, I'll think about my day uh, and the meetings I'm having and what's coming up and I'll reflect on what I'd love to see out of this day. And it's so different starting the day with, a, with the space to have your own thoughts rather than other people's thoughts um, and to start with a sense of peace and, for me, meditation as opposed to anxiety and worry and want. Uh, It shapes your day. So that's one of the simple day-to-day habits. Um, I've got a whole lot of daily habits like a digital free meal, digital free exercise, but a cadence where even if I'm online all the time as an entrepreneur, there's very deliberate stopping points where I make sure there's space to think and rest and reconnect with people who matter without a screen.
0: Yeah, that's so wonderful. And I know that I know some people that make it a practice like not to turn their phone on until, you know, eight or nine in the morning. And that's amazing. Um, I think it's also beneficial to just start small and not reach for your phone first thing and scroll on Facebook or Instagram or check your email first thing in the morning and let yourself wake up and set your intention for your day and give your gratitudes. Like I love sharing like a mental three things that I'm grateful for when I first wake up. So there's all different ways that it it could be done for depending on where somebody is now and where they want to be.
1: Definitely. And look, when I started, honestly, my goal was just not to check my phone and email before i went to the toilet (laughs) you know like and certainly not to check it on the toilet you know like it, it it is about starting small um actually the biggest barrier i find for at least that 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 habit of bookending your day without tech is how will you wake up a lot of people really struggle to know how they'll do that because we're so used to alarm clocks being our phones and so you can buy old-fashioned alarm clocks but they're pretty obnoxious like they're (laughs) annoying they're they're annoying (laughs) i know we're so soft that you know we're so used to nice alarm clocks that we can't go back to the 80s um but i have tried it and you can get them uh you can get garments and Fitbits and other things that vibrate without giving you the full internet kind of coverage but the the one i found most useful is i just found an old iphone or an old smartphone that, that was no longer used and I plugged it in and it still worked. It didn't have much battery, so i leave it permanently plugged in. Uh, but there's no internet, there's no apps, and it works really well as an alarm clock. So you know, be creative, but it is worth putting the time into working out how can you create space to bookend the day, um, among, uh, among other things.
0: My husband's going to be laughing as he listens to this because he uses an alarm clock. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) I just let myself wake up when I wake up. That is my secret to no alarm, but I know that not everybody can do that. So, um, okay, let's talk about something we have not talked about yet, but as part of your, your second book, which congratulations, by the way, like one is a feat, two is a huge feat. Um, So you are talking about kids and technology. It feels like it's just kind of like a big experiment right now with like what we're letting kids do and how they're using tech and how it's affecting their brains. So I want to know a little bit about what you found as it relates to kids and technology. And for the parents listening, like what does it mean to start now Raising tech healthy
1: humans. Yeah, thank you. And that is obviously that's the title of the book, "Raising Tech Healthy Humans." So, how to reset your children's tech habits and give them a great start to life. Uh, Look, and I wrote the book because whenever I speak to leaders at conferences about making space and reshifting our own habits, the first question that always comes up is, "What about my kids?" And you know, kids and tech is probably the biggest pain point for most parents, and one of the biggest fears in knowing how to help them use tech well, but not. Become cyborgs or addicted or you know all the other stuff we see around us, um, and the book began like I wanted to call it raising humans, uh, but obviously the tech healthy part is important for clarity. But I I wanted to start that because I asked my kids you know a while ago you know what what's the best experience you've had so far in life? Uh, my daughter's fifteen, my youngest son is ten. I've got a twelve year old in the middle, and I was really surprised at their responses. You know, like one of them said, I love that I. I jumped on the trampoline with my neighbor and it was so much fun like that's the best experience of your life and another (laughs) one said like we went to this we went to Grindelwald which is a bit like a national lampoon's vacation like a cheesy (laughs) swiss village uh and and we played mini golf and a funny thing happened where mum hit the ball and it landed in the net that my youngest boy was carrying and he ran away with it and we all laughed and i remember that experience that was the best experience of like her life now I've taken them to Disneyland and I'm like, wow, why did I do that when I could have just <laughs> played on the trampoline? But the funny thing is that when I think about my best experiences, you know, I'm 45 now, none of them, are, none of them involve like winning, I don't know, a, a game of strategy or Minecraft or, do you know what I mean? Like they're not online. Um, like there's achievements. Like, yes, I'm really thankful I released a book, but that, was, that wasn't about the technology. But most of the things I'm most thankful for about relationships with people I love, being outdoors, having adventures, and just doing everyday ordinary things with, it, with mindfulness and thankfulness in the presence of loved ones. And, and yet what I'm seeing in young people is they are losing out on the best experiences of life because they are oversaturated in tech. And then I looked at the research and I realized actually from a brain perspective, um, phones and tablets are actually really age inappropriate for young, young kids. And we need to be much more thoughtful uh, for their mental development, their health, their emotional regulation, um, and their empathy uh, when and how we give devices to our young people and then how we grade them up as they grow up. So the book is a manifesto for humanity. It's not a negative fear-mongering book. I find so many books about tech and kids just make you so scared (laughs) that you just feel like giving up. And there is some bad stuff out there around tech and kids, but... I wanted to paint a realistic picture and then give super practical advice for parents with kids probably between the ages of about 3 to 4 to 12 years old, so pre-teens, how to really integrate tech well in their life, slowly, carefully, but also in a way that helps them experience humanity away from the screen.
0: I mean, as plastic as our brains are as adults, you know, as... as um Transformative as they can, or I guess they had the ability to transform. Like it must be just tenfold, 50fold for kids. So I think that the time really is now to start setting them up for success with A, good habits, and B, really. Putting limits on what they're what they're interacting with technologically.
1: Definitely. Look, and if I was to give one bit of you know simple advice, and, and there's there's a lot of it. I mean, because we all heard about screen time, but it's not just about the time. The context is really important. And what we're finding is that uh, interactive screens like an iPad uh, or you know a tablet or a smartphone that they're actually really different than the old passive technologies like a television screen. Uh, most of the apps and games on those devices are dev- designed to make you addicted, essentially. Mm. So there's variable rewards like in Minecraft where if you keep digging, you might randomly get diamonds you know, or Fortnite, you know, um, uh, that's based on pokey machines. You know, that's, that's the behavioural science that is, that is designed to make you addicted to dopamine. Um, and, and there's flashing lights and, and colours, which again are like a pokey machine, Uh, Or there's social cues, which you see in the social media apps, where you get social rewards based on what other people think of you, which is a very tribal response. So all of the swiping type technologies, uh, or almost all of them, uh, they ramp up what we call the downstairs brain or the old brain, like the lizard brain. So that's like the brainstem, the amygdala, the limbic system, the kind of fight, flight, freeze responses. Uh, And in kids, you don't want to ramp that up too much. Because... They're really good at that, <laughs> reacting, being emotional, <laughs> being impatient, wanting stuff now, like kids have got the old brain. But if you spend too much time ramping that up, they actually don't develop the new brain, which is the cerebral cortex and prefrontal cortex, the stuff around it. Uh, and, and actually, it's not a given that you'll develop empathy or patience or to be able to think creatively or to be able to enjoy silence or to know your own thoughts or have the ability to self regulate. Uh, all that stuff is learnt. And kids are not going to learn it uh, in the way that they need to. And there's lots of research in this. Their brains will not develop if you give them too much and overcook that old brain. So, um, ironically, especially with younger kids, uh, when they're old enough to use screens, which is you know two years old and over, uh, then you're better off giving them passive screen technologies like television screens from a distance. Um, even though it might look like that's more lazy than giving them these really engaging technologies that make them look like they're learning, but it's actually ramping up the wrong part of the brain. So I I try to put the research in simple terms and give really clear recommendations for how to balance the and when to introduce different technologies and different different mediums um, without getting prescriptive.
0: Okay, so I've heard from a lot of my... entrepreneurial mom friends and I used to see this in my own brother's behavior as well when it's kind of it's I'm it's definitely not too late because I don't believe that there's a too late with any of this but it is to the point where when you go to take that away it is a temper tantrum kind of moment or even like an angry outburst moment so do you have a tip for the moms that might be experiencing that where their child is very resistant to the changes that they're trying to help them make
1: yeah look it's very hard i mean it's um dr victoria dunkley she took off um she she works with kids with neuro neurodiversities like adhd and also conditions like depression and psychosis she ended up taking um her clients 500 clients off of technology uh, for a four-week fast and found that 80% of the kids with diagnosed conditions ended up with um, a 50% or more reduction in symptoms as a result. So when, um, you know, another doctor, Dr. Kadaris, who's an expert in addiction, basically says that uh, these type of apps and games are actually like cocaine for the brain for young kids. Uh, so they're like amphetamine. So what you've described is exactly that. It's an amphetamine response. When you're a drug addict and you take the drugs away, like you feel happy when you're on the drugs to a point you take it away and you you get a crash Uh, and the only thing you want in life is to get that happy hit again that's the kind of that's unfortunately the dependency we're seeing in really young kids who have lots of exposure to these things so i don't have a really simple answer uh there's a few things i'd recommend you know I'd, i'd suggest really try to give your kids experiences of life broader than screens so that there's a greater yes you can say no to something, but then, you know, can you say yes to something greater? So let's go kick a football, let's get outside and we'll go get ice cream and let's, you know, like it it has to have an active response where you teach your kids um, something else, but it's also going to require patience and a bit of undoing if they're really really genuinely mentally wired to particular inputs. Um, The book that I wrote isn't about kids who are really addicted, Uh, it's about trying to help parents set up their kids in a better way so that they can avoid some of those harder challenges. But there are good books out there to help parents with kids who are really hyper and wired. I'm um, sorry, I can't give a better response than that.
0: No, that's that's perfect. Um, all right. And I definitely want to respect your time. And I also want you to be sure to share how to get those books. So I'm going to ask you, I always ask like these rapid roundup questions, which are just sort of fun and not rapid. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so I guess my my curiosity question for you, let's see, is what is your favorite thing to do when you have more space and you just have one day? Let's say it's even like a surprise day of space. What do you do with that more space?
1: Ah, uh, Look, I am an introvert and I must admit I'd probably spend it by myself, which is really sad. Uh, I, would, I would go for a walk, uh, you know, in in the bush uh near me or or a bike ride mountain bike riding or something um if i can get so i'd have a massage that would be really nice and have a coffee by myself uh and then and then i'd probably want to hang out with my family or close friends and have a dinner something like that that would be a perfect day
0: i hear you it sounds like I often think about if I had my last day on earth, what would I do? And it would be very similar to what I do each and every day, but with just more space, right? And maybe a massage.
1: (laughs) Who doesn't want a massage?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, All right. Why don't you share how to find and connect with you online as well as get hard copies of your books, so that people can digitally connect while reading your fantastic books.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. Look, uh, spacemakers.com.au. So that's a plural Uh, Spacemakers.com.au and the AUs for Australia. Uh, You'll find stuff about my book, and you can download free digital Sabbath guides and planning tools and stuff from there. Uh, And for parents, I just created a new website, raisinghumans.au. And uh, if you go raisinghumans.au backslash gift, you can get a great set of parenting resources. So infographics to show you all the stuff you need to know about screen time and screen context. Um, interviews with specialist parenting, uh, you know, parent experts around the world, and and a whole lot of other really, really useful stuff like digital contracts. So feel free to check that out uh, if you're interested.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes, especially for that very generous gift. So Thank you so much. And Daniel, I so appreciate your time. I know it's like early in the morning for you. And I really just appreciate you having this conversation with me.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for reaching out. And it's really great to meet Emily.
0: To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.